Welcome to the Campaign Builder. I'm Dan. And I'm Adam. And we're building a full campaign as transparently as possible. In each episode, we're discussing overall plot points and focusing in on how to use dynamic encounters to make more engaging sessions. For more general discussions, look for Campaign Builder episodes called Foundations. Or check out our Dungeon Mastery series on the regular It's Minimum podcast. The party we're planning for includes a warrior, priest, mage, criminal, and outdoorsman as they explore their homebrew setting. At the beginning of this plot point, they're behind enemy lines trying to escape back to familiar territory with a number of allies, but someone in their midst has a dark secret that could ruin everything. All episodes are available on the It's a Mimic feed, as well as on iTunes, Spotify, and many other podcast apps. Everything is also nicely broken up into playlists on YouTube. Don't forget to follow or subscribe on whatever app you're listening to and head on over to www.itsamimic.com to support us by hitting the donate button there. And now that we've appropriately pimped ourselves out, let's get to building. So Adam, we are still behind enemy lines. We're we're making our way... um, out to kind of wrap up this level, wrap up this tier, and it's time to hit that big twist in the campaign for probably the first time. This this big reveal, this this um, almost act of uh, a sudden betrayal to the party. Why is having a twist in your D and D campaign, like maybe taking that hard left or that hard right in the in the plot? Why is that important? Well, you don't want complacency. There comes a point in every D and D campaign where players are starting to look for a twist. Mm-hmm. They're starting to figure out that wait a minute, this isn't what it seems at face value. And I like having many, many little twists in there, so you never know which one is going to be the big twist. And we've done that a couple of times on episodes where we start off with, and you think it's going to be this, but it turns out to be this instead. And so we are trying to tell a story. This is about the journey. You can't win D&D. You can just show up to enough sessions to get to the end of the campaign. Yeah. So this is about the twisting road. It's, it, this is the the scenic route that we're taking here. And the scenic route is that we're going to think that everything is perfectly fine and all of a sudden it is not. Yeah, this isn't your like level one reader program book that we're going through here. This isn't, you know, uh, look at the dog, see the dog, right? This is... Got plot. It's got intrigue. It's got some sort of um, drama to it in terms of the plots of the campaign. So what you want to do is you want to add twists that your players will expect and also won't expect well, to bring forward, right? Well, they're going to expect that there's going to be a twist at some point. Yeah. The, the best twists are the ones that you don't see coming. They're the ones that you are looking to the left and something comes at you from the right, right? It's that misdirection that we're looking for. I'd almost disagree. One of my favorite twists that we've done is uh, we expect the betrayal to happen. Um, You had this uh, one gnome character who was always the seedy, like, businessman character in our campaigns. Um, And we always expected, oh, this guy would sell us out in a minute, would all... And no, this is the guy who did the sacrifice play in the last session and proved that he was as... Big an ally of us, even though we treated him like shit because we thought he was a bad guy. He did the big sacrifice play and saved one of our character's most important NPCs in, in like the dying moments of the campaign. Well, and that's that's the thing about, okay, look, I was playing with a lot of seasoned D&D players at that yeah. point. We'd really worked our way through a long campaign. Well, that was, what, three years yeah. of campaign at that point? And so I needed to subvert it by having the reverse betrayal. Yeah. Right? And But it's the same thing. 
It's the exact same thing. Yeah. This is all about subverting expectations. And it is all about revealing the fact that one character in your midst is not acting the way that you think they're going to. Now, we've talked about unreliable NPCs. We did an episode on that already. Mm-hmm. But that's when the players know that the NPC is unreliable from the beginning. This is a reliable NPC suddenly reveals that they've been unreliable the entire time. There's a there's a wrestling term called uh, a heel turn. Basically what that is is when a... Uh, there, there are two types of wrestling figure. There's the face and then there's the heel. And the face are your heroes. They're the good guys. They're the guys who get the audience going and cheering. And then the heels are usually the ones who are designed to have the audience boo at them. And um, it's quite a popular trope in wrestling storylines. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm speaking specifically to a very narrow fandom right now. But for these hard heel turns and putting though, taking that concept of a heel turn as a betrayal is is... So interesting, and it's a really good way to draw your players into it as well. But there's going to be some risks to that. So when we're talking about a betrayal, when we're talking about someone taking that hard heel turn, what are some risks that go into that? First and foremost, the obvious one is that the players are going to figure out what you're doing before you do it. Oh yeah, every time. And they're going to just stab your NPC in the back, right? The moment that they sniff out something, no matter how good your players are, if you betray them there will be a murder hobo among them. There is zero sense of consequence at this point because when players show up to play the game, they know that, well, I can murder this thing and it'll be fine. In a couple of sessions, I'll be okay. And so they will do that. And it doesn't matter if it is a horse or a funny goblin that's been with them the whole time or a wacky talking baby. They don't care. They will put a freaking knife in it if it betrays them. Most players will go out of their way to protect themselves first their party, distant second. Actually, I'm sorry. Their items are a close second. <laughs> the party is a distant third, right? And then long after that will be the NPCs. Yeah. The other, the other thing that is a big risk of it, um, is a bit more meta. It's, um, your party will think that you are doing that depending on what NPC you have engineered to be the betrayer. Um, your party will think that you as the DM are out to get them. And they will assume an adversarial thing. So, um, I would say as a, as a uh, experienced DM coming into this, that if you are going to have that betrayal, really be careful with how it plays out so that it is clear that the, the character based off the storyline, everything, everything the character's kind of done up to that point have like little micro clues, even things that might not even be massive, like sticking points for the party, but Things where they'd be like, all right, that would be why he did this seven sessions ago, right? This is called- Otherwise, you have a group of players around a table who are going to come to you like you're the adversarial DM and be like, no, you're taking our favorite NPC and turning him. You just don't want us to have that NPC, so it's adversarial. Yeah, they think that you're coming at it from a meta perspective. Yeah. And honestly, it doesn't matter why you're doing it. Mm-hmm. It really doesn't. If you need to remove an NPC because they're leaning on this NPC too much, that's fine. What you're talking about, Dan, is called the earned betrayal. Yeah. You have to earn it as a DM. You cannot just decide one day that you are going to just take this character away from them. I need a, I need a big twist. Uh, it'll be that guy. That's the wrong way of going about this. You have to set it up so that the party is going to be able to see that this betrayal was always coming. They were just looking in other directions. Exactly, yeah. And we've done that. See, 
in our campaign that we're going to talk about at the end of the episode, we're using an archmage. And this archmage has been coerced by an imp. The party does not know the imp is there and the archmage says he's on their side, but the archmage is responsible for at least this localized natural disaster that happened to coincide with the day that the gods went missing. As a result of this, he is a major enemy. He is the reason that shit has gone sideways. All of these encounters that we've had over the last couple of levels against drow and spiders and everything else is directly because of this guy's actions. Even though he was coerced, he's still the bad guy. He he is still the villain. He's still the the enemy here. He is going to be the one that they are going to focus their attention on, at least until the imp is revealed. And that's one of the things that you and I are doing. You know, we always do dynamic encounters. We're doing dynamic villain as well. Yeah. So you get halfway through fighting a mage and, oh, no, wait, is that guy over there? It's the imp. Yeah. Right? So, So it's the same thing of us building these expectations. But we have said that the mage is over in the corner talking to himself, doing something over here. We've, right? we've planted the weird. seed. Yeah, we've planted the seed and we, we've had a little bit of like nourishing that and, and growing it to harvest. And exactly like you said, we've been kind of trying to distract the party from all of the subterfuge and all of the subtext of this mage being controlled by somebody. We've, we've been trying to distract the party from it, but at the same time, making them aware of it. So it's a little bit of an interesting dance to do. So... When I'm planning to have this betrayal, especially something this major, I definitely, as a DM, am planning six sessions ahead, at least, that this betrayal is going to happen. Yeah. There needs to be some time from the decision of the betrayal to the end. Because if this is an established NPC, which this guy is at this point. So we've had this guy for about, what, 10, 15? So he's been popping in and out since about the middle of level two-ish. Yeah. 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 So, like, and and he's helped the party a bunch, but he's also done some things that might be a bit questionable. So, we've, we've done this work, so we've earned this betrayal. If we had just flipped this on the head, on its head, it, it would fall flat. It wouldn't have that dynamic climax to it. When, when the betrayal actually happens and there's some recompense, that's never going to feel as sweet if it's just an impromptu bleh, right? So Adam, we've we've already talked about some of the faux pas that we've been dealing with here. Some 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 advice. Do we have any other major faux pas to like the sudden betrayal in in a tabletop role playing game like this? Yeah, first of all, don't gloat. Oh, As a yeah, dungeon master, sure. the moment that you start gloating that ha ha, I fooled you, it doesn't matter. While you have a boundary between yourself and the character. And you may have set it up as a dungeon master before the session and that you've been running the character during the session. And it's very clear in your mind, this separation between the two. And you are sitting there after the session going, wow, that went, that went perfectly. I'm so glad I set it up like this. And then this happened and I put this over here and, and I, I did all of this mechanical work and I, I balanced the, the, all of the encounters coming up and I counted the spell slots that the mage has and, and you've really done the work. Do not sit there and talk about it. Because your players do not see the difference between you and that character. No. Because they don't see the work beforehand. They don't see you driving to D&D or scribbling notes or sitting there watching them slowly fall into the trap as you stand back and you're monologuing what you planned for the, for the Archmage or whatever your villain to say. They don't see that. They only see your actions on the villain's turn. Yeah. Which means that they're only looking at you. So even when you separate afterwards and you start talking about, oh, yeah, that worked out. I'm so glad that I managed to do that. And when when, did you see this? It's still raw for them. They still see you. This is accidental adversarial dungeon mastering. So watch out for that. Do not sit there. 
on these big, heavy emotional moments and deconstruct it within the first day after after the yeah. session. As long as they're still emotionally involved, you you can't do that. Dan, you and I used to drive home from D and D, and I would always try to deconstruct it, and you would you would start to get annoyed and upset and talk about the way that things worked um, mechanically and such. I didn't like that. No, no, I, I, I don't like that. And I'd be like, yeah, I was really surprised when this person did that and it lined up nicely. Yeah, I can't believe that you set that up. And I always felt like the bad guy about halfway through those conversations. Yeah, yeah. And it took me a long time to figure out why. When I was working with one of my old players, Jamie, we would spend all Sunday playing. And I mean like 10-hour sessions. Yeah. And then I would see him at... 7 a.m. the next morning uh, because we worked together. And he would want to sit there and talk about what happened. And the only thing I could talk about was the game from my perspective. And anytime I would say something like, I didn't really expect that you guys were going to be able to do that anyway, he would get mad. You set it up against us. You're the reason that... And and he very much thought that I was the enemy. Yeah. Right? And so deconstructing with the players, especially deconstructing a betrayal, is a very, very dangerous thing. Is going to put you at odds with the people across the table. Yeah. Another little faux pas I, I, I tend to see is, um, and we, we've said play the long game. One of the big faux pas for this sudden betrayals is inserting a character specifically for a betrayal within a session or two of when that betrayal is supposed to happen. Well, I mean, to, to a point, if they want to, if I've got a bunch of goblins and they've got a gnome that's tied mm. up or whatnot, they kill the goblins and they rescue the gnome and the gnome is traveling with them for a day or two. But I know that the gnome's a serial killer. Again, I'm going to set that up, but... The party has to have the opportunity to figure that out. Yeah. That's not a betrayal to me. That is just a good liar, and they're not rolling insight checks. They're just not paying attention to what's happening around them. And I, I'm going to start dropping hints. There are some bad guys that are quote-unquote hidden that should be found. That's not a betrayal. A betrayal is when the enemy chooses to reveal of their own volition that they have done something bad. Exactly. One of the things that we've done in this scenario that you and I do very naturally as well is we look at the flow of when the betrayal is. Mm -hmm. One of the things that's going to let us get away with this is the fact that this betrayal, this, by the way, he's the villain in your midst, does not sting so deeply. This is a dull ache and not a sharp sting because we didn't destroy the player's hometown. No. And we're not, yeah. we're not about to destroy it. This is something that happened in the past. We're revealing that we are war criminals walking amongst them. We are the bad guys and we may do some vague, horrible shit in the future, but there's no slitting the, the player character's wife's throat. Yeah. Right? It's this level of active betrayal or pointed purposeful betrayal that really grinds at players. And so the fact that we've kind of given ourselves a step back from the immediacy. The betrayal happened weeks ago and this character showed up and the players have asked for the character to come help them. Yeah. And the character has helped them, but is weirdly like of two minds about certain things and is, is sometimes he's up, sometimes he's down. There's a lot going on with, with this character, but he's not actively out to kill them today. And that's something else that you're going to see as we go through our encounters at the end as well. We're not out to harm the party. No. However, the party is very much going to be out to harm the Archmage by the end of this. Yeah. We, we could actually talk about some tools that Dungeon Masters, at this point, can use to kind of battle these faux pas, uh, faux pas not be adversarial. Um, let's bring up, uh, let's grab our dice, let's roll initiative here. Um, come up with a couple of things here as just tips to DMs, and if you got one for a player, 
to kind of deal with a betrayal amongst them. So let's roll dice and talk about it. I got a two. I got a six. The moment that I start to do a betrayal, I will drop into third person. Okay. When I'm moving minis around the map and whatnot, I will very much, when I am an NPC, I will say, I move here, I move here, I move here. But when I'm playing a villain or a bad guy, in order to distance myself through a very simple linguistic trick, (laughs) I will say, he moves, she is over there, they are over there. By distancing myself from that character, I become a spectator and not an active participant in it. That, that's actually kind of genius because you have, uh, even these big bot, like these big canned adventures, um, like Curse of Strahd comes to my mind. You never say, I move here when you're moving Strahd across the battlefield. You say, well, Strahd's going to go over here and Strahd's going to do this. Yeah. And then a lot of players, what they will do is apply all of their hate and ire to the character, usually in the mini form in front of them. Rather than the person grabbing the mini and moving it across the field. Yeah, and you see, with the planned adventures, they know that a Sererak or Strahd or whoever the big bad guy is, they know that it's pre-planned. That betrayal, that setup, that set-piece moment, that conversation, it has been written out, and it's not the dungeon master's fault, they're following the plan. Yeah. You want to know the secret when we homebrew? is we are making a plan that we then have to follow. It's no different. We're just the ones that wrote the damn book. Yeah. So we're still not at fault here. We're not out targeting people. And a lot of the time, at least for me, I am not planning this right now in this moment to fuck with you. This is the script because I'm looking... Uh, let me be clear. The end of tier, or the end of level five is a betrayal where a good guy becomes a bad guy. The end of level 10 is a bad guy becomes a good guy. I myself have done that math ahead of time. There is a script I am following in my head. Yeah. I'm just committed to it, right? And you don't have to have all the beats. Fuck knows I don't, <laughs> right? I do not know every, I mean, like, look, I'm coming to the session going, ah, what, what's the going to be the beat this week? Ah, it'll be that, it'll be that. No, but you know that there's going to be yeah. a betrayal. You may not know the specifics of it. And that's part of being a good dungeon master is being fluid with it. Yeah. Um, and listening to your players and, and figuring out what the characters are going to grasp onto the most and so on and so forth. But you, as a dungeon master, should be distancing yourself from the script. However you do that, I do it with, with language. I encourage all of my players around the table to say I and me when, when they're making role playing decisions. Mm-hmm. So when I'm role playing with them, I will lapse into that until I'm playing a villain. And then with the villain, I'm very much using the third person perspective. So, uh, my, my tip would be primarily for a tier one. And you kind of mentioned it there a little bit. Tier one is kind of the, the foundational setting up of the entire plot. It's the entire story. Your players getting comfortable with their characters. All of that is kind of working out. Um, when it comes to a betrayal in tier one, I wouldn't directly target the characters, the players, the pl- like the PCs. I would target things they love, places they love, um, NPCs they love, but not directly target them um, for this kind of betrayal in tier one. The no, ra- we know we're going to have a boss battle in, at the end of tier four. Yeah. Right? We know we're going to build to that one-on-one with a big bad evil guy that's going to wreck shit. Exactly, right? right? We don't and, need and to do that And it's going to early. target the players, yeah. right, specifically. So uh, having this uh, Archmage who is powerful and he knows he's powerful, for for my campaign, 
he's beholden to the the imp in some way, shape, or form. I, as the DM, know that, but he's not going to directly attack the players because there might be that in in my mind. There might be that shred of hope in the archmage that this guy, this group of characters, might be able to save him and get him out of this bonds or whatever. So he's not going to directly attack them, but he is controlled by an imp. He is controlled by a very evil creature. And as such, will slowly try to dismantle their uh, foundations and, and show them how a bad guy can be without necessarily killing them outright. You mentioned like slit an NPC's throat. Slit an NPC's throat. Don't slit your player's throat. See, well, I mean, if, if they're if they're a problem player, go nuts. But <laughs> but no, see, I I very much will directly attack them, but I'm not going for the kill shot. That's what I mean, right? Like you're not. The players should be able to get up and walk away by the end of it. I'm at, I'm still going to make it hard. And if one of them dies, then that's the way the dice go. But the intent going into a tier one big betrayal like this isn't to kill player characters. It is to establish a tone. We are progressing the plot yeah. and setting up the next tier. Okay, so here's the crazy thing about about Bill. This should be a Foundations episode. <laughs> I'm about to wax poetic for a moment. Uh, one of the things that I absolutely love about uh, planning D and D is I don't I don't listen to the way that the tiers are set up in the player's handbook. The way that they're set up is tier one is one to four, tier two is five to ten, and tier three is eleven to sixteen, and tier four is seventeen to twenty. It goes four, yeah. six, six, four. I break it up into equal fit, uh, equal quarters. So there's five each. Yeah. And the way that I do it is I look at the three act structure of an introduction, a conflict. I raise the stakes. And in the very last moments of that, there's a resolution, but they chain one after another, which means that yes, there's tier one. And that is really like the introduction to the world and who are these characters and so on and so forth. Tier two and tier three, those 12 levels, or in my case, 10, because I don't want 12 full fucking levels of this. Yeah. Right? 10. Those, that's problem. That's conflict. I'm just ramping up the conflict. I'm making it more complicated. Uh, there's no resolutions happening in here. We're just going to well, compile... Well, they're like minor resolutions. They're nothing significant. I cleared plot. that dungeon, but I didn't free the kingdom. Exactly. Right? Yeah. So... Uh, we found the next piece in the puzzle. We've got to we've got to gain the seven pieces of the rod of seven <laughs> parts and put them all together by by a certain point. Yeah, that was supposed to be a six month campaign. Ended up being two and a half years. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so i I look at these these level of complications, and so my act two and three act play is the meat. That's the majority of it. And act three is the raising of the stakes. Yeah, that's levels sixteen through twenty. And in the end, you get your final resolution. And then I normally give them a happy little moment afterwards, usually yeah. a monologue where we send Sam and Frodo home again. Right. Yeah, exactly. So, um, I tend not to dwell too much on that, but we'll cover that in a future episode at note to self. Um, <laughs> but no, one of the things that is really very, very important is to think about the idea of introduction over and over and over again. Yeah. And just because you're resolving one thing does not mean you shouldn't be introducing something else. Yeah. All three of these things should be happening all the time. We're increasing stakes on one thing while we're introducing problems on another and we are introducing the concept of yet another so that every time we knock one thing off, everything else gets the stakes raised 
and we introduce a new concept and we just get bigger and bigger and bigger. And you can see us doing that. Escort this one guy. Now come rescue this small city. Now go to the jingling city and wipe out this guild. And now you're you're out in the farmlands getting captured. And you're meeting drow. And now there's a sinkhole in the middle of the city. And you see we're just getting bigger and bigger yeah. and bigger. But we're introducing almost a new location every time. And as much as we resolve Lachlan's lot, we're also introducing the idea that the jingling city is on the fringes of society. Yeah. So, like... There are bits and pieces that we're dropping all of the time here. We don't really get into it because we're it's not the time to. Well, no, I mean we don't get into it on the on the podcast because we focus on dynamic encounters and and usually a theme per episode. But if you go back and listen, if you pay attention, we are sprinkling this shit in as we go, and it's something that comes to us as storytellers very naturally. Yeah, and I think that this intimidates new DMs. So for a new DM, I would say if this does in fact intimidate you, if this does in fact Make it so you don't want to DM because you don't think you're capable of this. Start small. This is why I think tier one is is such a great foundational step for all new DMs. Because if something, if you try something and it fails in tier one, it's not going to matter as much as if you have a level 16 party to deal with. And you can focus on dealing with such a uh, more complex issue when you're not having to worry about all of the like litany of spells and spell-like abilities and um shit your players have to throw at you that will take you by surprise every single time how many times adam as a level 16 fighter rogue warlock did i surprise you with an ability that i had oh, you would surprise me every time you accidentally remembered indomitable yeah right uh, yeah i guess this goes two ways um but like this this is why i'm saying like if you're a new dm i would encourage you one and th- this could be my next piece of advice as well to just all dms be aware of kind of the emotional, not the emotional, the, the involvement of your players at the table. Choosing a character to do a sudden betrayal, choosing a character uh, to set this story beat off is going to be dependent on who is going to draw the most illicit reaction from your players. I see having a character who the party knows might not trust fully, but is still like, it's one of those guys who in midweek content, content comes up and quite frequently. This is the kind of character I want to pull on for the sudden betrayal. And as a new DM going into it, I, I would say, okay, if this is going to be what happens, I'm going to start laying this small little bit of groundwork down by one hint a session. It doesn't have to be something big. Um, take it easy. Break it down. I guess it would be my piece of advice here. Break it down so you know if in six sessions... This betrayal is going to happen or when 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 the party gets to this stage of my uh, campaign, because let's be honest, we're planning individual sessions because we we're experienced enough to know kind of how far a party will get in a session. If you don't just have, OK, when that happens, I know I could drop this one little thing in. Right. And that that's just something um, small, something easy to manage in between combat encounters with thugs in an alleyway. But exactly. This is exactly what, what I was talking about. If, if this seems overwhelming to you, the idea of dropping the hints early, remember the idea of the three-act structure. Introduce this while some other problem is gearing up, right? Having the mage suddenly talk to himself in the middle of a combat, that is not a detail that they will remember until much, like, much later. They will remember way after the fact because they're dealing with the combat. Yeah. As they are resolving an entire plot point of, hey, look, we can rescue that person over there, right? We've just discovered a piece to a puzzle to something else that we know is on the horizon. 
And meanwhile, our archmage is is off in the corner having a conversation with the shadows. They will say, okay, that's weird, but they will move on. And you have introduced the idea by introducing it early in little ways. Like, like you're saying, Dan, just, just a hint here and a hint there. And as you watch your different storylines, your different conflicts progress through it, this will slowly move to the forefront. Mm-hmm. You notice the Archmage was not there in Sandspit when we started. We introduced him partway through when they got to the to the Jingling City, and he was just a minor background thing for a while. Yep. And that's how we sow these seeds in early and just let that percolate because now they're not expecting it. It's like we still have not figured out what we're going to do with the character Oscar. Nope. Right? We know that he's there, and he is there in every one of these sessions, even though we don't mention him because he's just an NPC in the background going about his stuff, kind of a bumbling fool. Well, he, he's the guy like taking the, um, he's like the accountant and grunt of the, the party that has been tasked to him by Tremblay, to the party by Tremblay to just follow them around and keep note of what they're doing to make sure that their work for the mercantile guild of the region is still legit and in the black. Right, and so he's not up to anything. He is still very much in the introductory stages. At some point, I'm assuming end of tier two, middle tier three, I don't know, somewhere in there, we will either reveal that he's been betraying them the whole time, so we'll be amping up if we decide to go that way, or we we won't. We'll keep him as a friendly NPC that we can torture and put bamboo slits under his fingernails <sighs> later. So, Is it just because he's named Oscar? Specifically, yes. Oh, okay. Um, so... I don't know. I, I I think that it's such a good idea to to draw out, and we've been kind of hitting that nail repeatedly. Here. Yeah, we're hammering that one home to draw this out because you do not want to be the adversarial DM when they see that this has been there the whole time and it has been getting worse and worse and worse. They just weren't paying attention. That's a whole lot different than haha. Bet you didn't see it coming when I stabbed you in the kidney, <laughs> right? That's not a betrayal. That is just a dick move. Yeah. Remember, the other thing, I guess my last point would be, have a motivation for the betrayal. Oh, yeah. It can't just be a bullshit, no good reason. There's got to be a good reason for him to suddenly turn on his friends. And I want you to keep in mind, everyone listening to this, you have been pissed off in the past. You have had friends that have betrayed you. You've had coworkers that have talked about you behind your back. You've had... Uh, maybe you have been unlucky and you've had someone cheat on you in a relationship. You have been betrayed and you have not murdered people. I hope. That is because this shit is in character. Mm-hmm. You may be surprised by it, but when you go back and you sit there, you will say, you know what? We were never really that close. You know what? He's just a coworker. My significant other was always kind of weird. And I know things have been getting tense between us. For a while. Mm -hmm. This shit is earned. There's a motivation behind it. These are real people doing real things. The moment that you just say, "Eh, I'm bored. I'm going to stab somebody. I'm just going to steal all your shit. That character is not a character. It's not earned. That is a cardboard cutout. It is a caricature of, of what the party is expecting. And it seems to be the action being more important than the character. And that action will get traced back to a character... And that character, the only person there, because it's a caricature and it's not a true fleshed out character, the only person behind that action is the DM. Mm-hmm. And that's why you're going to get yelled at for that. And I have seen it online all the time. Reddit is full of this. Well, all of a sudden, the, the NPC popped out of nowhere and I'm pissed. 
all of a sudden he turned around and fireballed my ass. Or the DMs are like, yeah, I've got this really great thing where I'm going to put this guy in here and he's going to be the sweetest, nicest, happiest healer of all time. But he's also then going to secretly steal their gold and disappear in the middle of the night. Well, where the fuck does that come from? Yeah. There There's got to be a reason to the character to have this kind of uh, dramatic impact that we're trying to set up here. Exactly. Otherwise, it's just you and your kerfuckery. And we're not here for your ego. Dungeon Master is the worst title. That's not what you are. At best, at best, you are a storyteller. At worst, you're a referee. You land well, at, somewhere in the middle. At worst, you're a... Or a tyrant, right? Well, no. <laughs> then you're not being a DM. You're just being an asshole. Yeah. Right? Like, Dungeon Master is a misnomer. You are not the master of this story. You may have created it, and you may be actively running it, but you are here doing collaborative storytelling for other people to succeed. And even if you are frustrated with the fact that all your monsters keep dying, that is the chair you chose to sit in. Yep. I'm sorry. That's it. Don't be, don't be pissed off and say, you know what? You know what? No, he was a doppelganger the whole time, and I was just going to, you know, eat that guy's brains. Like, okay. All right. Pause. <laughs> <laughs> One, doppelgangers don't eat brains. Well, they could. I mean, sure. But. <laughs> now, okay, this, this whole campaign is taking a turn to the left. Doppelgangers. Welcome to another <laughs> episode of. No. So, um, if you just do that arbitrarily out of nowhere and you didn't earn it, your players can sense it. Yeah. I keep saying kids are not dumb. Kids are underdeveloped human beings. They have senses about them. They will sense your motive when you don't want them to. Yes, they will. Every players time. are the same thing. Players are children. Uh, you help guide them for the first 20 or so levels of their life. And then they are a fully realized maximum potential. Look at all these great things I can do. Human being or Goliath or Eric Hawk or whatever. They are a person that are that have reached their end goal and they can go out into the world and they hit NPC status from there. <sighs> You, it is your job to, to take them on this journey. Yeah. Right. And they are instinctive. They will know when you are lying. They are, they will know when you are fudging it. If they've got half a brain, they will figure your shit out. Yep. So don't lie. Tell the truth. And the truth of the matter is there is a motivation behind this. This is not arbitrary. And if I want to say, if the inspiration springs you, uh, springs on you halfway through a session that this key NPC should do a betrayal. He should He should do this. He, he should betray the party. That is when you make a little note of it. And then when the session is done, figure out how you're going to play that out. Have you earned it yet? And yeah. if the answer, the answer is probably no. Or actually, there have been a couple of things. I remember that... The, if you can like shoehorn it in, in the, some the, way, shape, or form... The criminal, still... the criminal keeps stealing all of his magic items. Yeah. And, and the minstrel keeps stealing all of his girlfriends. Yeah, he's going to be a little bitter. He, okay. All right, there's some motive here. Yeah. What I need now is opportunity and intent and a murder weapon, right? Like, <laughs> so so there can you can discover this, sure, but don't pull the trigger on that right away. Earn that shit. Exactly. So we are on the, uh, where we are in our story, we are on the precipice of leaving the city. We now have an idea of what's been going on in this metropolis and, and we are trying to escape running away from Drow. And this is when we've kind of engineered this um, betrayal to come to light. So we, as is fashion for 
the Campaign Builder series, we have engineered three dynamic encounters each to sprinkle into our sessions uh, between other smaller, less dynamic encounters um, to really progress the plot forward. Um, so, Adam, let's grab our dice, let's roll initiative, and see who um, gives out their dynamic encounter first. I got a natural one. And I got a 17. That's so all you, bud. You can suck it. Oh. All right, so my first one is an exploration to role-playing encounter. This one is them trying to escape. They're trying to get away from this sunken city. Yeah. And they are going to be racing to the farmland. They're not quite there yet, but they're working their way. There's going to be a little bit of uh, open wilderness between them, which is in our case, desert. But there will have been sinkholes and whatnot too, because this entire city just disappeared uh, down into the ground and there are drow all over the place. So this is a race through the farmland. They are exploring by ducking patrols and hunting for safety. And the exhausted party almost finds a safe haven. They find a cave or somewhere where they can hide and wait for patrols to go by. But that's when the mage, the archmage, collapses and starts speaking in riddles. Now, I think that earning it here is him speaking in riddles. It seems like riddles, but what he's doing is he's talking to the imp. And if anyone is writing it down, they will look back on this later and say... That makes sense as we reveal future plot points. So he's wild and he's hostile and the party has to keep him quiet and calm or the drow may hear him. So that's the role playing there is they have to soothe him. And so either through intimidation or persuasion or... Uh, I was just going to ask, is it too on the nose to have him speaking in Infernal here? As long as no one in the party speaks Infernal, I think it's fine. He starts ranting in another language is if someone there speaks Infernal or can identify it as being Infernal, then I would not do that. Well, could it be... Um, the thing is, I, I love the idea of maybe him talking in Infernal. And if there's a tiefling in the party, then, I mean, it's it's the racial language. They're going to be able to pick that up. You said speak in riddles. I would have this kind of sense of double speak going on as well. Like the Archmage is very intentionally talking to uh, the imp. And it could be this momentary madness from the outside looking in. We don't know how he's charmed. We haven't decided no. that yet. And by the way, I'm not using a spell for this. This is magic monster bullshit can charm him. This imp has an item that can blah or is artificially powered by the nine hells to be able to hold dominion over one person as long as that person's got a, I don't know, fucking invisible tattoo on the side of their neck. Like whatever it is. There's, there's going to be something that binds the two of them together. Yep. And we don't know it, how his mind struggles against this. And so it could simply be him arguing with someone that's invisible or just clutching his head screaming, I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to. I didn't mean to. It's all the way down there and I didn't know. I didn't mean to. I just want to go home. Like... And they can be like, what, what is he talking about? The riddle does not have to be a literal riddle. I would actually recommend it isn't because then your party will think, oh, we have to solve this riddle to move ahead. Yeah. No, this is, he is speaking in double speak. He is speaking, um, he's sitting there going, pineapple porcupine. Well, it, it's not even that because then they're going to sit there and they're going to be like, okay, they both start with P and they're kind of prickly to touch. Like, okay, they're both alive at a certain point in their lifespan. like, And they're going to start trying to find out what that riddle is. Yeah, I guess it's so. not crazy for the sake of crazy. Have a motivation. Yeah. Know 
Know who he's talking to and what he's talking about. Don't use proper nouns or names. Don't use uh, words that are, it is happening. Don't keep it present tense. Make it past tense. I never wanted to. This wasn't something I wanted. He is full of regret. They don't know who he's talking to or what he's talking about. This should last a short period of time. And then he, he's going to turn around and he's going to apologize when he collects himself at the end. Right. Yeah. And say, I don't. It was just a temporary madness. What magic do these dark elves wield? Yeah, and uh, that was gonna uh, that was gonna be one of the things I suggested as well as we're wrapping up this point is anytime an important NPC loses their shit in front of the players, the players are that is now their sole focus. Doesn't matter that they're escaping a town. Doesn't matter that there's all these plot points happening. They're gonna want want to know have an out planned ahead of time that the archmage will then give. And this this temporary madness. What kind of magic? Like, the, but 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 no. Here's the thing. It's actually temporary sanity yeah right because it's him breaking the charm then the the imp will regain control it's just the players don't get to see this yeah so when the imp regains control obviously he's going to want the mage the archmage to cover that up oh i'm sorry i was i was under a spell there's someone peering into my mind that kind of thing right and so the imp is going to deflect and distract and so the motivation we're looking for here is not the archmages it's the imps so for my encounter, I have an exploration to combat encounter here where the party is climbing one of these massive cliffs out of the city and um, like the, the spot where the, the city has kind of fallen in and they have to try to find a path through the wreckage when they are beset upon by gigantic bats, giant bats and a bat rider with them, a drow bat rider who then attacks them. Now, this is going to be a moment for the... Um, Archmage, who might be recovering from this previous thing to maybe take a bit of a backseat, but it could also be he was too loud and now the, these bats are attacking. Your party, I want them to be on the like the side of the hill when they're doing this to add this three-dimensional aspect to this combat. Um, and they're working their way through wreckage. Like this was a massive city of towers and pillars and, you know, cathedrals that has collapsed over so they're working their way through sideways buildings up the side of this thing and then these bats will attack and possibly cause more wreckage with radar like echolocation blah, and like stuff starts falling um this is all a fun little encounter to give them to show them that they are still being pursued as well here's the thing that i like about this the way that i would earn it is by having and see here's me introducing an idea early and then making it a problem later. What I'm doing is I'm introducing the idea that the Archmage has saved their ass from bat riders in the past. Yeah. If I know I'm going to do this, I'm going to have at the beginning of my session, it's not a dynamic encounter, there'll just be a bat rider. And he will be out of range of where the party is and they've got to run from and he's scouting. And the Archmage just like leans back, raises one eyebrow and just flips fucking gravity on the bat. And you boom, boom, and down they go. <laughs> and he goes, well, that, that's easy. If you ever see another bat rider, you let me know and I will take care of it. But now he's incapacitated. Yeah. So what I'm doing is is I'm dropping the idea that you cannot rely on the Archmage anymore. He is now, for two dynamic encounters in a row, been unreliable. And that starts to sow the seeds of doubt. You can see that we are not pulling the rug out from under the players as much as we are going to reveal this big betrayal it's not a aha moment. Yeah. It is them starting to feel a little uneasy and going, wow, we need to get this guy up and running again. It's weird not having him back us up. 
All right, for the next one that I have, I would like the party to get ambushed. And I mean like overwhelming odds ambushed. I'm thinking 25 plus driders. Okay. So this is beyond a CR20 encounter. They are so out of their depths. Now, this is going to be a combat to role-playing because we're going to start with this and they are losing and they're going to lose badly. They've got NPCs that are dropping, that are getting captured, I think in nets. I'm not out to kill people, but we're going to enslave them. And this is halfway through the session. Yeah. They're not going to see this coming. There's overwhelming odds. And you're going to have players at the table go, well, what the fuck am I supposed to do here? (laughs) And it is at this point that the mage suddenly stands up and shows power unlike any they've seen before where he raises both hands and just squeezes his fists and every drider's head just pops something that is beyond ninth level magic just instant kill an entire fucking group he's using beyond high level spells and then he turns around on his allies and he thinks He says out loud, you're out to get me too. I don't know who to trust. And he's talking about the fact that he's been coerced and that he says, I don't know who my enemies are and who my friends are because the imp is probably allied with some of these drow at this point. So he doesn't know when, who's on his side. He doesn't know when he's crazy and when he's sane. And he's going to look at the others and just say, I guess I'll have to kill all of you. And the, the players will not be able to combat him. Not at all. So they've got to role play their way through it. They have got to convince him not to. He's, he, maybe he turns to them and says, prove to me that you are my friend. And now through either a series of roles or a series of role playing uh, conversations, they're going to talk him down. At which point he is just going to crumble up, apologize and cry. Yeah, you really want to show the fragility of this guy's sanity and his emotional state here. Um, this will, even though he is supremely powerful and you're really displaying that well here... You are setting up this kind of uh, discord within the party itself in regards to him. So my next encounter is uh, a combat to exploration encounter um, with a little bit of roleplay sprinkled in. The party is fighting some drow on the side of one of these crumbled buildings that I mentioned earlier. It's going to be a fairly easy encounter of the drow, um, but in the midst of this thing, the side of this building is going to collapse from underneath their feet and they are going to fall into these under, uh, recently uncovered when when the city fell, caverns. And as they navigate their way through these caverns, dealing with the occasional drow that they were just fighting with, popping up, they're going to find this large, ancient, and hidden room that has this glowing red gem within it. Now, the reason why I want to set this up as this exploration of them moving throughout the cave, these like ancient tunnels, um, maybe even solving a puzzle or two, like a puzzle door, to get into this this little room, um, is because the Archmage himself, his entire demeanor from this kind of sniveling confused character is going to change he's going to be that confident archmage we've seen he's going to be you know with a straight back and everything and it is his goal to get that gem now the party knows he's been acting weird this entire time it might not be a good idea to give this to him and they're going to have to convince this archmage that it's probably best that he holds on that the party holds on to it I like that because of the erratic behavior of the Archmage. Because you can, you're really getting the idea that he's pulled in two different, yeah, different directions here. I, I would, I would, I would play with his his voice in this regard as well. If you're a DM that doesn't do a lot of voice work, 
than just the, the amount of confidence that you're speaking with. He's not a sniveling little character who's not exactly sure of his words, but he is slowly speaking. He's confident and he is assertive. He's back to being the character they met originally in the Jingling City that was heading a council. All right, so from there, what I would like to do is I would like to have a little bit of a break. It's time for a breath. Yeah. It is time for them to get a short rest in. They're hiding somewhere. I was thinking about you in the caverns down below, and I said, well, it's a city. Why not Why not sewers? Maybe they're climbing through basements and vaults, and mm-hmm. that's where this thing is. You flavor this however you want to do it. But when trying to talk with the mage, the party reveals accidentally that he's got a split personality. And what they think is a split personality for him, he's like, oh, no, you, you weren't talking to me. You were talking to the other guy, right? There's, no, there's, there's two of us here. And he keeps using language like this, like the other guy. Those were my words, but they, they, they were coming out of my mouth, but they're not my words, right? And you're going to have some people go, oh, it's split personality. Other goes, other ones are going to say, oh, it, it's, it's magic. It's, and so there's going to be a little bit of a, a strange suspicion that's happening in the party. And that's when he reveals the evil side who steps forward as this confident, now super powerful one. And whereas the archmages they were just talking to could barely get a cantrip out. When he is confident, he is blowing high level spells. Mm -hmm. This is where I'm going to dominate person, right? I'm not out to kill anybody, but I'm going to use these high level magics to just dominate the, the players themselves, the player characters. Let them know that they are not in control of the situation. Maybe he walks over. And he just takes that gem. Yeah. You can't stop me. He just flick of, flick of a wrist. Doesn't say a thing. He just, his eyes glow. And all of a sudden that gem flies into his hand. This is beyond anything that, that they can do. And that they'll ever be possible. It will ever be possible for them to do. Right? He's going to do three or four different spells that all require concentration at the same time. At this point, he is going to be aware. He is going to make them aware of the fact that there are two different entities. But we're still not going to reveal the imp yet. So there will be another entity there. And he will call himself, oh, you think you know me, but blah, blah, blah. And he's going to monologue somehow. You don't need to talk to that weak fool that was that you were dealing with beforehand, right? And you're going to see this. And I think at this point, you are going to reveal that not only is he the least reliable character that is there, he is outright fucking dangerous. Now that the mage has taken the gem and has revealed himself and shows that he's evil, he's going to grab a couple of these favorite NPCs and he's teleporting out. He's getting the fuck out of Dodge, right? He's kind of set up the party for this sense that who do we trust? Who Who is amongst us? He might even lay a couple seeds uh, in the party because he is now the full confident archmage. He is the bad guy now. And... He's going to lay a couple seeds in the party and be like, I'm not the only one here plotting against you. And this is when I'm going to maybe draw some attention to other NPCs that will be completely unfounded. Like this is a bunch of red herrings for the party to now sit down and have a entire party politics set uh, encounter when they try to determine who among them is trustworthy. Can they trust these slavers that they've picked up or these former slaves that they've picked up in the process within the city? There are refugees all over the place. There's refugees all over the place. There are some some races, Durgar and Srif Neblin, they've never seen before. Who are these people, right? Right, yeah. And I really like that. But, I mean, obviously he means the imp. It's the imp he's talking about. Yeah. Who is invisible and sitting over there. <laughs> but nobody can see him. The Archmage can. Mm-hmm. But he's just, he's gonna he's, I think he's just straight up he's gonna say yeah 
They, I am not the only traitor in your midst. Don't cross me or I will sink another city. Like, this is the moment where he does that big reveal that I did this. Yeah. This is when he unzips his fly and pulls it out and it's just like, whoop, whoop, look at me. I'm so awesome. Just waving it around. Just swaying back and forth. I'm really hoping just, some of this gets cut. No, not not the massive. Well, like, maybe uh, it's it depends Jewish? on his religion. Yeah, um, but this is this is the part where he also uh, will have something over the party to to draw the party to go back and confront him because he's got the gem. He's got a couple NPCs with him as well. That I think he's going to take. I think he's going to take Oscar hostage. He's going to take. Let's Oscar get hostage. Oscar. Let's and like some look. of the most innocent NPCs that you have with you. There's no better way to put Oscar. Like so they instead of them saying, "Well, wait a minute, is Oscar one of the one of the problems?" You make him one of the hostages. He's a poor victim. We got to go get our buddy back. Yeah, that is how you do it, and that will set him up for whatever betrayal we want to do with him sometime later. Right? Yeah, we are earning the trust of Oscar now by just having him sit there and be a prop, essentially. I like the idea of, of the Archmage saying, don't even come after me or I will execute them all. And then it's, he turns around to teleport out. The last thing they get is Oscar looking at them and mouthing the words, help me. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like really draw on those uh, heartstrings. But um, there's one more little thing I do want to reinforce when all this happens. And that is the fact that your party, this, this really great party politics role play opportunity Everyone's got a whisper because you're still being hunted by Drow. And that is something that we are going to have to deal with on the next session. Um, because this will kind of be the big beat that ends this session. Yeah, from here, we're going to go get our friends back, mm -hmm. right? And so we know that we've got a couple of more sessions before we're going to resolve this, right? So the next session is going to be preparing for the fight. So as your party is sitting there, as you, the DM, are sitting there listening to them say, well, how do we do that? Do we do this? Well, I've got a spell... Take fucking notes. Yeah. They're going to tell you what their plan is, and we're giving them all of the agency in the world to exact their revenge and get their friends back. Yeah, this is, as a DM, this is when you sit back, you take notes. Uh, you might not know how this entire thing goes. In fact, you probably don't. But you take your notes and you give vague answers back because your players will come to you and be like, hey, can we do this thing? And you're like, oh, I don't know, you could try. I wouldn't even, I don't know, you could try and say, how would you go about that? Oh, yeah, yeah. Right. Give leading questions to kind of help the planning process. Right. Because that's what the next episode and the next session is going to be about is them getting 100% of the agency like they did with the scouting. We're giving them more leeway to make their own decisions. Yep. You notice that we are no longer hard railroading our players. We're letting them figure it out. And there can be people, NPCs there that can help with ideas. You as a dungeon master can maybe even get in on their side. Yeah, a little bit, yeah. And help with, with helpful NPCs. So you're going to end your session on their side. You are not the adversary. Yeah. And that is a incredibly effective tactic. Yeah. So now that we've determined the details of the betrayal and discovered the culprits, it's time to start planning our revenge. This will allow us to regain agency over the villain, take stock of our own resources, and get ready to exact our long-due vengeance. Tune in next week when we discuss preparing for big boss fights. Thanks for listening to this episode of the It's a Mimic Campaign Builder. Check us out on Instagram, Facebook, and r slash It's a Mimic on Reddit. And you can email us at info at It's a Mimic .com. I'm Adam. And I'm Dan. And we'll be back with more prep work next week.
So, Adam, for our specific campaign, we know that we are on the cusp of... Um, Makes me uncomfortable when you say cusp. I mean... It, it's just a gross it, word. It, it's kind of... Yeah, it's just... It, I mean, I like the feel of it in my mouth. I bet you but, do, friend. I bet you fucking do. <laughs> so, it's it's just like in a heap or baleful. I feel like when you have that cusp in your in your moist mouth. Oh. See, when, when it's when you hit that hard plosive, like that, the cusp. Yeah, I, I don't like it. I, 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 I dislike it. As a uh, story right now, where, where we're at, we are on the precipice. Thank you. Yep. Of uh, leaving the fuck. God damn it, Adam. <laughs> we're about to leave the city. Cusp. Moist. Precipice. Okay, bye.